And there's obviously a big difference between uh, participating in the creation of a new life and being a father. And uh, many of you are trying hard to be not just a father, but to be a good father, to be a great father. That's hard work. Uh, we make mistakes. It can, there can be anxiety around that. So thank you to all of you who are stepping up and trying your best to be the best dads that you can be. I hope that you do uh, have a good day. So I want to ask you a question, everybody, not just uh, the dads. How are you doing? Like, how are you really doing? Are you growing? Or have you stalled? Are you getting better? Are you becoming a better version of yourself? Are you growing in wisdom, growing in patience, kindness, thoughtfulness? Are you becoming uh, more Christ-like? Is your character changing? Have you surprised yourself recently by acting in a good way when the situation might have led you to act in a less than ideal way? Have you surprised anyone else? Has anyone come up to you recently and said, you know, you're different than you used to be? Are you getting better or have you perhaps stalled? I ask this question because in our study of Galatians, we come to the last two chapters and the question churns a little bit and it's directed at at a very specific group of people and it's talking about how we get better, like how we grow. So this is just a, a quick flyover, but there are all different categories of people there are some people who don't believe in God and who think that uh, religion is, is a bad thing. There are people who don't believe in God, but who think that religion is a good thing. I was actually at a funeral this week in Dallas, and there was, uh, I met a guy who was also attending the funeral who many years ago was involved in sort of helping to open up the Soviet Union, and he had some interaction with Gorbachev that changed his life. And he said Gorbachev just made the casual observation that he thought, this sounds like something that people would say Gorbachev said but didn't say, I wasn't really in a position to challenge this guy, but he said that Gorbachev said that he didn't believe in God, but he thought that religion was a good thing and that one of the biggest mistakes that the, that the Marxists in the Soviet Union had made was to get rid of the Bible and because the values had gone away and they had had problems with that. And he said he sort of marveled that the U.S. was sort of following a similar trajectory. So there are people who see some utilitarian value in religion, even if they don't believe in God. Then there are people who believe in God in sort of a generic sense and believe in religion. And the very first part of this series, I defined religion as the belief that there are certain rules and rituals that if we follow them, we will get better. We will be better than other people and God will love us because we're better. And I said, time out, that is not at all the Christian faith. The Christian faith does not suggest that we're better. As a matter of fact, we should not. If you are, if you are mature in your faith, you should no longer be laboring under the, under the uh, ill-advised idea that you're better than your non-Christian neighbors and friends, that you're a better dad than they are. Why would you think that? That you're morally superior to them. That is not how Christianity starts. That is 
religion. Religion is due. Christianity is done. Everything that needs to be done for us, everything that needs to, to happen for us to be in a right relationship with God has been done by Christ. So there is generic religion out there. There's another category, and now we get into the intersection with Galatians. There's a category of people who don't just believe in religion generically. They believe in Christ. But they don't think that belief in Christ is enough. So I have captured this by saying faith plus works equals salvation. That's their equation. Faith in Jesus That's what the Judaizers were saying. That's why this letter got written. Faith in Jesus plus works equals salvation. And it said, no, Paul was very clear. No, no, no. That's religion. That's not at all. That's not good news. That's a gospel that's no gospel at all. That was what Paul said. That's not, that's not the plan. It's that faith equals salvation plus works. So, Most of the letter was written, the first four chapters were written to try and correct that thinking and to say everything that needs to be done for us to be right with God has been done by Christ. It's One of the hardest parts of my job is to persuade people that the good news is as good as it is because people think it's too good. They go, no, 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 but but there's got to be more to it than that. Right, that I would just receive from God. But that is, in fact, the, that is, the, we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift. God reaches down. Religion is reaching up. Christianity says, no, God so loved the world that he reaches down to us. Okay, now we get into the last two chapters and things change a bit. Now, we're talking, Paul is talking to people who believe that faith equals salvation plus works. And they agree that that we are justified, that's sort of a legal term, but we are declared righteous on the basis of what Christ has done. But there's disagreement on how we are sanctified. So the the sanctification is the theological term for how we actually get better, how we we grow, how we become more kind, how we become more Christ-like. How does the sanctification work out? How do the works work? factor in. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is an area that there's a lot of confusion about. And so um, the passage we're going to look at, typical Paul, typical Galatians, is a little dense. So it's, it's, it's a little hard to understand. It's also news that's hard. Right? It's, it, it's, it's not quite as fun to hear as perhaps the news of the gospel, <laughs> that it's all been done, right? You know, we, we've, we have been given the righteousness of Christ. And so, so it's hard to hear, and I think it's perhaps particularly hard for Americans to hear because we are uniquely unprepared for what we get called to. We have uh, a relatively undeveloped inner world. I've pointed this out in the past. I, I was reminded again this week of the difference between Robinson Crusoe and Castaway. So Robinson Crusoe, the the book written by Daniel Defoe uh, in the early 1700s, and it's a book about a guy who's shipwrecked and he spends several years on an island. Now, if you haven't read it recently, it's not a bad summer read, what you will perhaps be surprised by is that he doesn't spend those two years trying to get off the island. (laughs) He spends those two years sort of 
working and cultivating his relationship with God. And he's actually not lonely. He actually cultivates a rich, growing, dynamic life. And, and, and he's got an inner world. He understands who he is. He's just, he processes. He, he cultivates a dynamic relationship with God. Castaway, the Tom Hanks movie, is in many ways the same story. Somebody who ends up on a, on a deserted island. Except that's where the, that's where the similarities stop. Hank spends all his time trying to figure out how to get off the island and talking to a volleyball. Right? There's no cultivation of an inner life. That's not generally what we do. And if you go to a bookstore, I was at a bookstore a while ago, and I was looking at the self-help section, and I was struck by, if you just step back and you look at all these books, by and large, they don't want to challenge us. They want to give us a shortcut. So there's tricks. There's, if you go on this diet, everything will be easy. If you use this gadget, everything will be easy. If you understand this business principle, every, your life will be easy and you will have success on your terms. <laughs> Which is very different from what Paul says to us in Galatians chapter 5. So the news is, uh, is a little hard, but it's good and it's life-giving. And so if you have your Bible and you want to follow, we're in Galatians 5. The first four chapters, we've looked at the gospel, we've looked at truth, we've looked at motivation, we've looked at the law, we've looked at faith, we've looked at freedom. Now in chapter 5, we've looked at, Paul's commended them on the fact that they used to be running a good race, they were, they were doing well before they stopped doing well. It points out that Christian life is a long process, the idea of growing, growing good is going to take time. He's then uh, commented to them as well that, uh, that these false teachers have caused all manner of problems and now everybody's confused and depressed. And then he said, you know, we've got freedom now. We've got freedom from the law, but it's not a freedom to do whatever we want. It's a freedom to love. We are now given the power to live the life that we want. And so that's where we pick up Galatians 5 verse 16. So I say, Paul writes, Walk by the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this is a a command. It's in the imperative mode. As a matter of fact, it's a military phrase. Walk in step with the Spirit. And and if you are a Christian, if you have made a decision for Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives within you. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. It's not a what, it's a who. It's the third person. God's Spirit comes to live within us. When Jesus was leaving, he said, it's better for you that I go. It's better for you that I go, think about this, than for me to stay at your side. Because when I go, then the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. And that's better than having me around. And so uh, if we come to faith, God comes and lives inside of us. Now, the challenge is we have to grow and learn to cultivate and lean into the Spirit of God. We are told that we can harden our hearts. We're told that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can go our own path. Perhaps you've seen the bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. Yeah, bad sticker. Like, God is in the cockpit and you're going to fly the plane? Why would you do that? 
right? It's, it's, we need God to be pilot, and, and we learn to yield our lives to God's Spirit. And this is what he is telling us we need to do. So I say, walk in step with the Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. If you do this, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul sets up a dichotomy between the, uh, if this was a cartoon, like the, the, the good uh, the good angel sitting on your shoulder whispering good things and the bad you know, demon sitting on your shoulder whispering bad things. He sets up this contrast of good versus evil. Now, many people mistakenly think that the good is the spiritual and the bad is the physical. And the use of the word flesh in the NIV, I think, sort of contributes to that thinking. That's actually Greek philosophy. That's Plato. That's not Paul. That's not the New Testament. So what we learn from the Bible is that every area of our life, physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, every aspect of who we are, was created by God and is good. But it's broken by sin. It's corrupted by sin. And so it's not that the the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. No. It's that both the spiritual and the physical have been damaged by our sin. And so I think a better translation of this Greek word that is translated flesh in the NIV would be our sinful nature. So we've got to understand that there is a conflict that goes on inside of us between our sinful nature, unhelpful, misdirected passions and desires that lead us to sin, and the new life we get in God, led by the Holy Spirit. So um, clearly... Part of the reason that Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians is because they were surprised at how long it was taking them to get better. And so when this group came into town and said, your problem is (laughs) you're not also doing this. Your problem is you're not growing because... You're not following the special diet. You haven't embraced the Jewish customs. You haven't been circumcised. If you did those things, faith plus works, then you would start to change and grow. So they're frustrated, so they yield to these rules. They're coming back under the law. And Paul says, bad plan. It's not the law. It's not these rules. It's not what we do. Instead, it is... The, the Spirit of God living in us. And he says, and you've got to pay very close attention, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He does not say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say, listen to the Spirit of God, and don't do these bad things. Now, there are other places in the New Testament where we are told, don't get drunk, don't sleep around, don't do these things. But that's not what he says here. What he says here is, if you yield to the Holy Spirit, then, then you are not going to do those things. You're going to be changed inside, and you're not going to do those things. Verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, this is not good news. I think many people think that if I do the right thing for a while, then doing the right thing will become easy. 
And that's not what we're being told here. There, there are two conversations 30 years ago with uh, men in there well into their 80s who were the most, I thought, the most spiritually mature, godly people I'd been around. Very prominent, distinguished men. And when I got some time with them, I asked both of them, what is it like to be this close to God? Like, what is it like to be good? Because I'm not good. I'm having a hard time getting good. But you're good. What is it like to be that close to God? And both of them responded in anger. <laughs> and they said, I'm not good. No, no, I'm not good. You're, you, you misunderstand what's going on. Do not look at me. So here's the deal. And I, I've said this before. When we come to faith in Christ, usually it's because we recognize, you know what? I'm having a hard time living up to my own standards, let alone God's. I'm not where I want to be. God is here and I'm here. And, and I need someone to pay that debt. The longer we walk with Christ, the more we learn about who God is, the more we realize, oh my goodness, God is not here. God is way up here. And you know what? I'm not here either. I'm way down here. A whole lot of things I was giving myself credit for in the past, I now realize, no, that's pride. That, that's, I got bad motivations on that. I mean, so, so I'm down here and God's up here. I now realize I need a whole lot more help than I ever realized that I need. And I'm not good. And, and this is an important thing to, to reconcile with. We, the struggle is ongoing. Now, this is part of where it gets complicated. People will come to me and say, not often, but occasionally people will come to me and say, you know what? I'm not actually certain that I'm a Christian. I thought I was. But I'm really frustrated I'm not getting better. You don't, you, you don't know everything about me. You don't know how broken I am. I'm trying, but it's not working. And, and that's a sort of critical pastoral moment here, and, and this is part of the reason why it's, why it's complicated. The last thing I want to do is say to somebody, oh, you're good. You're fine. Don't, don't worry about it. If they're not good, <laughs> if they're not fine, Right? I don't want to give a false sense of assurance of a relationship with God, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. That would be, that would be significant clergy malpractice. At the same time, um, I want to say two things. One, uh, being broken, understanding how conflicted you are, understanding your level of sin may in fact be proof that you have come to faith. This could be a good thing. Your frustration with yourself may be a good thing. Because what we're being told is that, is that if we are following the Holy Spirit, we're going to be in conflict with evil. So I remember this really coming into clear focus for me when I was a college student, uh, there had been a big fraternity gathering. It had gone um, poorly. A lot of alcohol involved, as you might imagine. It had gone poorly. There had been a lot of anger and frustration. A lot of guys sort of yelling at each other. No fights, but a lot of guys saying a lot of things. And I was involved in that. And I was really uh, frustrated uh, about an hour later at, at who I was. 
and I was broken by what happened. And I decided I, 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 I headed out. I thought, I've got to think about this. And so I, I can't sleep. It's now probably early Saturday morning. I'm walking around on campus. I'm about a mile off uh, away from the fraternity. And it's, you know, one o'clock in the morning, whatever. And I see some, some guys coming at me. And I go, oh, this isn't good. Uh, but when they get closer, I realize they're fraternity brothers. And they're like, Woodruff, what are you doing out here? And I go, well, what are you doing out here? And they go, well, we asked you first. What are you doing out here? And I said, uh, well, I'm just trying to process what happened tonight. And I'm a little frustrated. And I'm, I'm just trying to think about what I did and what I said and why, why I got pulled into that. And they go, what are you talking about? I go, well, what are you doing? They go, oh, we're going to go bimp the Sigma guys. You know, why don't you come with us? I mean, so they had been more trouble and uglier and, and ho- more hostile in the, in the earlier little uh, ruckus that we had had than I had been. But there was no guilt on their part at all. They were just like, hey, let's go do some more, right? That was fun. And, and I, I realized, right, that when the Spirit of God lives within us, we're going to be convicted of some things. And so the fact that we're like, why am I not more kind, more loving, more patient? Why am I so selfish? That can be a, that can be a, a good thing that God is helping us see ourselves more clearly. So on the one hand, I want to say, hey, the fact that you are frustrated may be a really good thing about the state of your soul. But we've got to keep reading because there's another side to this. Uh, reading on. So, uh, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, this is just, uh, this sort of carries back all this long discussion about the law that we were looking at over the last couple of weeks. Basically, the easiest way to see this is, when I was out walking around at one o'clock in the morning, frustrated with who I was, right, under conviction by the Holy Spirit, I didn't need the law, <laughs> I didn't need to read the Sermon on the Mount and be told not to get angry. Right? I, the, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. I didn't need the law. So that's what he's saying there. Then in beginning in verse 19, we end up with two lists. We have a, a bad list first, the fruit, of the, the fruit of the flesh of our sinful nature. And then we have a good list, the fruit of the Spirit. And understand that, that these lists are, are alike in a couple ways. One, they're not unique. You can look in ancient literature and find good, lists of good and bad virtues and vices. Aristotle lists virtues. Uh, if you read the Divine Comedy uh, by, uh, by Dante, he's got you know, levels of hell based on the vices. There's lists out there. There's lots of lists. This is not a definitive list. It makes no claim to be an exhaustive list. It's just, it's, it is a set of examples of the things that happen if we're living by uh, our sinful nature. The acts of the flesh uh, are obvious. They're, the first three are sexual, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Then we get a couple uh, about sort of false religions or idols, idolatry and witchcraft. Then we get a whole bunch about sort of our personal nature, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. And then we get a couple on um, abuse of alcohol, drunkenness, and orgies. The orgies are not sexual orgies. It's, it's just sort of uh, fraternity parties, perhaps. So, 
drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So, here's the key verse. 21, second part. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I warn you, Paul says, as I, as I already have, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're paying attention, you, you ought to be saying, wait a minute, Mike. I thought this whole book has been saying <laughs> that we're saved by grace through what Christ has done. That works don't matter. No, I've never said works don't matter. I've said it's not faith plus works equals salvation. It's faith equals salvation plus works. The works do not earn us God's love. That's not the way it works. But the works confirm the faith. This is what James is saying. Faith without works is dead. If you see no works, if you see no change, if you see no growth, something's wrong. Perhaps profoundly wrong. Because life saving faith, eternity changing faith, right? Christ given faith is going to lead to change. And if there is no change, then we have a problem. Does this mean we become perfect? No, not at all. Again, we're told that there will be struggles, ongoing struggles this side of the grave. There are people who claim that we can become perfect. And I've talked to some people who said that they were perfect. It was an amazing little comedic discussion into profound uh, lack of self-awareness. So, no, we do not become perfect. But we should get better. What does better look like? Well, we've got this other list. The better looks like this list. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, I, I've long thought that I would do, like for 30 years, I've thought that I would do a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And, and there's some interesting things to note when you look at this list and you pull them apart. Obviously, love is first because it's the most important. We're looking at this list is the characteristics of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind. This is, we're describing the character of God. And God is love, and we're supposed to be distinguished from each other, from, from others because of our love. Love comes first, and, and, you know, we could unpack more of this. You dig into it, and, and peace is not the absence of war. It's the Hebrew word shalom. It, it is, it is a general well-being, and self-control reflects some ability to figure out what really matters, what matters versus what is urgent. There's, there's stuff to be gained by studying this list. But I think it's actually more interesting to just look at a couple things about the list. Two in particular. First of all, the, the term that is used here is fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't talk about the traits or the qualities of your life, the characteristics of who you are talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I think if we reflect a little bit on fruit, this gives us some clues. 
one of the things that we see uh, about fruit is that it's really hard to hurry along, right? You can't rush an apple tree. It's sort of going to do what it's going to do in the time that it's going to do it. And it's it's going to emerge from who it is on the inside, right? An apple tree makes apples. that's That's how you know it's an apple tree, in part, because it is showing you what is going on on the inside. That's how it's wired. And so there's, there's, there's some qualities there of just thinking about what we get from fruit. The second thing to, to note is that there's a, there's a weird grammatical structure because it sort of sets up a plural uh, word with, with the grammar around it. But instead of it being fruits of the Spirit, it's singular. It's just one fruit. And Jonathan Edwards wrote a book on this in which he basically said that um, if you just have a few of these, but not all of them, then that's probably just your personality. Like, maybe you're just really patient. Sort of don't care. So you're sort of laid back. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's just your personality. If it's a work of God then all of these things need to be in play. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those things will come to characterize who we are becoming. Now, um, let me um, land the plane here. What we're being told is that we need to walk in the Spirit. We're being told that this is hard, it's going to take a long time, it's an ongoing struggle. We're being told a number of things. But what, what does it mean? How do we walk in the Spirit? Like just a, a day-to-day basis. You leave here and you go, okay, so how do I do that? Well, historically, the answer to that question has been, if you, if you read old sermons, if you back up. How, how would pastors 500 years ago have said you walk in the Spirit? They would have talked about uh, word and sacrament. They would have talked about uh, Bible study and, and listening to preaching, and they would have talked about the sacraments, baptism and, and Holy Communion, as being not saving grace, but means of grace, part of the way that God changes our heart. Because, again, remember, you can't change your heart. But we're, we're looking for the Holy Spirit to change our heart. What do we do? How do we position ourselves that the Holy Spirit will change our heart? And say, it's, it's through involvement uh, in church. It's through, it's through serving. It's through, it's through the, the words of Scripture. It's through the sacraments. A second thing that I would say, what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? And I, I've shared this sort of ongoing uh, pattern, prayer that I learned a long time ago, and that is that when I am first aware, hopefully, not always, but hopefully, when I'm first aware that I, what I have just done has been wrong, sin, that my, I'm motivated by whatever, pride or greed or whatever. At that moment, to say, Heavenly Father, forgive me. What I've done is wrong. And I see that now. And I actually don't want to be in control of my life. I want to yield to you. Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, Fill, empower me, guide me, direct me. I'm looking for you to do a work in my heart. I want the fruit 
of, of you in my life. Guide me to that end. So it's a, it's a 10-second prayer that happens silently wherever I am as I am consciously thinking, how do I yield my life to the Spirit of God? And then the third thing is to recognize that uh, I'm going to have to probably be even more intentional than that. So I think, let's just put this in the context of anger. Maybe that's your issue. I'm not talking about righteous anger. I'm just talking about anger. So you got an anger issue. And you know it. You tend to uh, get angry when you shouldn't or to be angrier than is justified by the situation. And, and you have been told this, and you have tried to not be angry. Which, of course, doesn't work. Right? You could list as your goal. For my New Year's resolution, I'm not going to get angry in 2018. Okay, well, good luck with that. Because that's just not the way it's going to happen. Right? We can't control our heart. Now, you could work hard to hide your anger, maybe even to suppress your anger. You wouldn't even see it yourself. You can control your behaviors, but you can't change your heart. So, so if this is your issue, you may have tried to just will yourself forward. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You may have even prayed. God, I don't want to be angry. Okay, well, that's a start, but that's not enough. Right, so, so the question becomes, and especially in the context of, of this whole book of Galatians, what part of the gospel, do I not understand? What, Lord, what am I missing? Why am I angry? What, what is it in me? Is this a pride issue? Is this a fear issue? Anger is a secondary emotion. What is at the root of this? Where am I thinking wrong? How do I not understand your goodness to me? And, and we, we have to submit to the word. We have to submit to the spirit of God. And we're looking for the Holy Spirit to guide and help us unpack these things. So, how do we get better? Well, we're, we're geared for a, a long-term fight. And we understand that it's going to take some work. We get better by, by being part of a church community. Listening to studying the Word of God. Listening to preaching. going to Engaging in the sacraments. We get better by cultivating a prayerful dialogue with God, the Holy Spirit. We get better by listening to the Holy Spirit as he hears our frustrations with ourselves and helps us see ourselves more clearly. Let me pray for us. Lord God Almighty, we do want to get better. We want to be better people. Better dads on Father's Day, but just better people across the board. We want to be wiser, more thoughtful, more loving and patient and kind. We want to have peace. We want to have joy. We want all of that. We're aware that we are broken and in a battle, that we are unable to just make those things happen in our heart and that we are up against spiritual forces. So we pray, Holy Spirit, guide us, empower us. Do your work in our heart. Help us see ourselves more clearly. We want to yield ourselves to you, that we would become more like Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.